Happy Sunday, church family, and I'd like to welcome you back to our weekend podcast. I'm so excited that you're listening in and joining in this weekend. Over the past 12 years, God has given my family the opportunity to serve alongside some amazing people in some great churches. I've shared some of this with you before in the past, but uh, from 2012 to 2015, I was blessed to be able to serve on staff at Clayton Christian Church in Indiana, and I served as their family pastor. I learned a lot of valuable lessons during my time at Clayton, but there's one lesson that I learned that'll stay with me forever. In fact, it's a lesson that I hope to pass on to as many people as possible. Uh, Much like our church here at OCC, Clayton has a large and active group of older members. Uh, It's a church of about 275 people, and I'd say about 50 to 60% of the church are older members over the age of 65. Now, I held normal office hours during the week, and my most productive time during the day um, is always in the morning. Our older members had Bible studies and ministries happening at the church throughout the week, um, but a lot of their groups met in the morning. And what would inevitably happen is that before or after a group met, uh, I'd get a visitor or two in the office. Uh, It was always one of our older members just wanting to talk. Uh, Maybe they had a prayer request or they wanted to see how our office staff was doing. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, Early on, this would really frustrate me because, again, my most productive time for work is in the morning. Um, I was always kind and compassionate when someone would drop by, but inside I was kind of frustrated. Well, my senior pastor at the time, a guy by the name of Gary Black, he recognized this frustration in me. He decided to call me into his office and he sat me down and after giving me the opportunity to share some of my frustrations, he taught me an invaluable lesson that I've remembered and applied to life and ministry ever since. Uh, Gary taught me the important lesson of learning to be interruptible and viewing these interruptions as divine interruptions. That's the the word or the phrase that he liked to use. He shared with me how even when it's not convenient or when I think I've got something more important going on, God will often use divine interruptions as opportunities to minister to others who need the Lord. Maybe they need a listening ear at the time, a prayer, or, or even just a friend. If we're all honest with ourselves, I'd venture to say that few of us truly like interruptions of any kind. You know, the phone rings in the middle of a good movie, uh, you get sick on vacation and have to go home, or when someone needs your help and it's the weekend. You know, few people encounter interruptions like these and say, man, this is so exciting. I I get to be interrupted today instead of doing what I really want to be doing. I mean, let's face it, if if you could choose to be interrupted or not, nine times out of ten, you're going to choose not. As Christians, many of us have learned over the years uh, how to treat interruptions as divine interruptions, even if you don't call it that. And a lot of times we don't always get it right, but that's okay. You know, the phone rings in the middle of a good movie, and you pause the movie. You recognize the opportunity there for a relationship, for connecting with someone else. Uh, You get sick on vacation, and then you remember that even though you have to go home or the vacation's cut short, uh, God never wastes a hurt, and there's purpose in the pain. Uh, You have a friend or a neighbor who reaches out, and they have something that they need, even if it's on the weekend, and you realize you might be God's answer to that particular need. Today, I'd like to focus on the times in your life uh, when you have a choice for how you'll respond to God's divine interruptions. These are the times when God says, 
I need someone to serve with compassion. Are you available? These are the times that God says, are you interruptible? So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Uh, This morning, we're going to look at a familiar story, but we're going to do so with a little different twist. And while I read the story this morning, I want to encourage you to listen for the motive behind the question asked of Jesus. So Luke chapter 10, we're going to break this down into three sections, uh, starting in verses 25 through 28. This is what we read. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So, a little bit of context for this first section. Jesus is in Judea, and he encounters a person uh, called a namakos. That's a, a Greek word that just means expert in the law. Uh, it also means lawyer, but they wouldn't have used that word like we use it today. And these individuals, these namakos, were respected community leaders. They were professional interpreters of the Old Testament law. In fact, if you lived in Jesus' time and you wanted to know more about what God expected of you and how you were called to live your life, you would ask the experts. You would ask anamikos. Now, this particular lawyer wanted to test Jesus. So he asked a question that was designed to trap Jesus. And that's really the motive behind the question. It was to test Jesus, hoping to expose his inability to handle tough theological questions. Um, I don't think he realized who he was talking to at the time. You see, Jesus didn't take the bait. Instead, he actually cast the line back out, turning the question back on the lawyer, back on the nomikos. And Jesus asked him, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So in other words, Jesus is saying, you're the expert, you're the nomikos. Don't you know the answer? Well, this lawyer was so puffed up with knowledge, he couldn't resist the temptation to show off his theological sophistication. He answers Jesus by saying, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, His answer was actually right on. In fact, Jesus gives him an A plus for how he answers the question. He says, you're exactly right. But Jesus didn't stop there. He also says, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. You see, this lawyer was an expert in knowing, but not in doing. He knew all the right answers, but he wasn't great at applying those truths to his own life. Um, Jesus responds to his answer in a very specific way. And how he responds is an important reminder for all of us today that it's not enough to just know all the right answers. We also have to live them out. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 22 reminds us of this truth. Uh, James writes, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. See, knowing is the easy part. Uh, the doing is much harder. 
You know, there's a lot of people who know a lot of things. In fact, you could join a Sunday school class, a small group, a growth group, whatever it is. And you can learn a lot of information about the Bible, but applying those truths to your your daily lives, walking with Christ daily, um, that's much harder. You know, I would say that churches all across the country are filled with people who know a lot about the Bible. But it's important that we also apply what we learn. It's important to do what God's Word says. Uh, Right now, our growth groups are providing encouragement, uh, ideas, and opportunities for all of us to do many of the things we already know. See, we're taking steps to get to know our neighbors, uh, get to know our community better. We're looking for opportunities to serve others with compassion, and we're giving the invitation for people to come and hear the good news of Jesus. You know, when it comes to our Christian walk, um, it's easy to know a lot of the right answers, but uh, putting what we know into practice is what Jesus had in mind. That's the plan. That's the goal. Well, let's continue with the next part of the story. We'll look at verses 29 through 33. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. So in this conversation between the lawyer and Jesus, the Namakos wants to defend himself by narrowly defining a single word, and that word is the word neighbor. He asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, to the lawyer, the command to love your neighbor meant loving the people who, who might look the same or have the same beliefs, who are easy to get along with. And if a person didn't fit these qualifications, they must not fit the neighbor category. And then the law wouldn't apply. We've already seen how the lawyer's first motive was to test Jesus. Um, But in these verses here, verses 29 through 33, um, we see the second motive, and that is he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify his, his actions or his inaction. The word justify in this passage means he was trying to excuse himself. He was trying to excuse himself from having to follow the command to love his neighbor. See, he was trying to do the same thing that the old comedian, a guy uh, by the name of W.C. Fields, he passed away many years ago, but same thing he was trying to do when he was caught reading the Bible. He said, I'm just looking for loopholes. See, Fields wasn't a Christian. He just wanted to know the bare minimum or how little he could do for how to get through life and make it to heaven. He was trying to justify his inaction. You know, the story of the Good Samaritan is absolutely about helping those who are in need. It's about serving with compassion, but it's also about the excuses that we tend to make for why we choose not to help others, why we choose not to serve others. We make up all kinds of excuses for why we can't help others. We tell ourselves that we can't help someone because it's too dangerous, or it's too involved, it takes too much time, or we don't have enough money to help. Well, Jesus uses several characters in his story to turn all of these excuses upside down and to illustrate an important truth. So in this list of characters, first we have a group of bandits or or robbers. There's also a man who gets robbed and is beaten so badly that he's left half dead. 
And then we have the three main characters. Uh, the first main character is a priest. Now, the office of priest in Israel was extremely important. Many of you already know this. They represented the people before God and offered various sacrifices prescribed in the law. The second main character is a temple assistant or a Levite who's also held in extremely high esteem. And like the priest, this guy should have known what to do when encountering someone who is in need. And then the third and and final main character is a Samaritan. He's the person you'd likely be afraid of if you met on the street, either in the day or or at night. You see, these two individuals, the, the Jewish man who was attacked and the Samaritan, they were usually enemies. And there's a number of reasons why these two would have likely been enemies. But one of the main reasons was racial hatred. The Jews saw themselves as pure descendants of Abraham, while the Samaritans were a mixed race of people who were produced uh, when Jews from the northern kingdom intermarried with the Assyrians. Um, The Jews actually called the Samaritans half-breeds during this time. These, These two groups absolutely despised one another. So by using a Samaritan as a hero in the story, Jesus was pointing out that it doesn't matter what you call yourself or what others call you. What matters is who you know and who you live for. In this case, do you know the Lord and do you live for the Lord? Lots of people call themselves Christians, but don't actually live and behave as the Bible teaches. And we tend to make up all sorts of excuses for our inaction when it comes to serving and living for God. Uh, the lawyer who was talking to Jesus wanted to justify his own inaction by asking Jesus the question, uh, who is my neighbor? He wanted to do the bare minimum, and I'm afraid many Christians today do the same thing. Well, let's look at the third and final section of this story, verses 33 through 37. It says, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and uh, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Jesus used the example of the Good Samaritan to show us a person who decided to look past excuses and to actually stop and help. The Good Samaritan chose to respond positively to this divine interruption. You see, he was interruptible even when it wasn't convenient or comfortable. As I wrap up the message today, I want to share four important truths Uh, that come directly from this story. And I I believe all of these truths are going to help all of us respond positively in the right way to God's divine interruptions in our own lives. The first truth that comes from this story is this, that this interruption took a risk. This interruption took a risk. You look at verse 30. It says, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Uh, There's a ski town in the southwest part of Colorado called Telluride. Maybe you've heard of it, or maybe you've even been there. Uh, Today, Telluride is a popular destination, especially for the rich and famous. Um, But it didn't always have this kind of reputation. 
See, many years ago, back in the the Wild West days, uh, the road to Telluride was so full of robbers, uh, thieves, bandits, that the town got its name from the contraction, To Hell You Ride. That was the original name of of this place, and today we call it Telluride. So the 17-mile road from Jerusalem to Jericho had the same exact kind of reputation and a similar kind of infamous name. So because of the number of robbers along the road, it was known as the Way of Blood. That's what people referred to this road as. When the Samaritans stopped to help, he knew that he was on a dangerous road. But he didn't use this risk as a justification not to act. I need you to hear that this morning. He didn't allow the risk to to be used as a justification not to act. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. once said, the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, was this, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed the question and asked, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? See, as we look for opportunities to serve others with compassion, we shouldn't allow the risks to hold us back. Um, this interruption took a risk, and it shows us we should be willing to take risks as well. Truth number two. This interruption took personal involvement. This interruption took personal involvement. Uh, Verses 33 through the very first part of verse 34 says, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them up. So when the Samaritan sees this, this wounded man, He doesn't go over to the other side of the road and just keep walking like the others had done. Instead, he gets involved. He gets his hands dirty. He he soothed his wounds and bandaged him up. He reminds us that God's divine interruptions often require personal involvement. You know, I think a lot of people want to be used by God, but they don't want to allow it to affect the comfort of their own lives. They don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't want to get involved. This shows us that I think more often than not, it requires personal involvement. Truth number three, this interruption took time. This interruption took time. Verse 34, just the end of verse 34 here says, Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. So the Samaritan didn't use a busy schedule as an excuse not to help. He actually took the time to stop, and then he interrupts his own plans, his own schedule, by putting the guy on his donkey. There wasn't an ambulance. There wasn't an emergency room nearby. Instead, he took him to an inn, and he cared for him himself throughout the night. Sometimes we use our busy schedules as an excuse to justify not serving. In fact, this might be the most common excuse that people tend to use. I know personally, this is where I struggle the most. I I tend to guard my time, even at the expense of others. One thing I've learned over the past few years is that you always make time for the things that are important to you. I'll give you a few examples. Um, If worshiping with your church family on Sunday morning is important to you, then you'll find a way to be here. If using your gifts to serve in ministry is important to you, then you'll find a way to serve. If being part of a growth group where you're surrounded by other believers, where you can uh, learn more about God's word, applying it to everyday life, and where you can be held accountable in your faith, if that is important to you, You'll find a way to be part of a group. You see, we always make time for the things that are most important to us. We always give our attention to the things that matter most. 
Um, This interruption and this story took time. And God's divine interruptions in our own lives, they're going to often take time as well. We make time for the things that matter to us. The fourth and final truth that I want to share this morning is this. Uh, This interruption took money. This interruption took money. Verse 35 says, The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. If you read between the lines, it seems like the Samaritan regularly traveled this road and had stayed at the inn before. He gives the innkeeper some money and he asks him to take care of the man. And if the bills ended up being higher than what he originally gave, he'd pay the difference next time he came around. Um, The Samaritan didn't use money or the lack of as an excuse not to serve. It was Margaret Thatcher. She was a Christian and the first female prime minister of the United Kingdom uh, who once said, no one would have remembered the good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well. (laughs) I think that's important for us to remember today. It often takes money to help others who are in need. In fact, I would argue that um, it often takes our time, talent, and treasure to serve others with compassion. You see, God doesn't need these things to get the job done. He just knows that these are the things that typically control our hearts and our lives, our time, talent, and treasure. These are the things that we covet the most. See, God wants all of you, not just the leftovers, and that often requires giving the things that matter most to us so that we can serve others and serve the Lord. The Samaritan's example reminds us that serving others with compassion will require our time, talent, and treasure. See, this interruption took all of these things, and God's divine interruptions in our own lives is really no different. The Good Samaritan was interruptible, and this interruption took a risk. You know, it wasn't safe. It took personal involvement. He, he got his hands dirty caring for another person. It took time. His own plans were changed so that he could meet a need. And it took money. And he was willing to serve regardless of the cost. So my question for you today is, is simple. And it's this, when God knocks on the door of your heart and asks the question, are you interruptible, what will you say? Are you going to have a list of excuses for your inaction, or are you going to get involved? Are you going to be willing to take a risk? Are you going to be willing to be personally involved? Are you going to give your time, your talent, and your treasure I want to challenge you to respond positively to God's divine interruption. Say yes to the opportunity to serve with compassion. Follow Jesus' command at the end of this story. Verse 37, he says, go and do the same. That's my charge for you today. Go and do the same. Allow God to use you so that others would see Jesus.